0: Stop here. Yeah. Yeah. It is Thursday, December 3rd here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 13 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, we are down to the last two buys of the NFL season. We got the Bucks and Panthers off this week after we had no buys for Thanksgiving week. We got no Thursday night game because of the reschedule for the Steelers and Ravens issues last week. But we've also got another spread out schedule because we're going to push into Tuesday for that Ravens game to close out this week's schedule.
1: I I can't even keep track anymore. It's tough to keep track of all the COVID guys that, that, you know, the Ravens game is going to be interesting because, you know, we might not know if, you know, someone like Lamar Jackson or Mark Andrews will be cleared by the time we have to set lineups on Sunday. So like I said, tough to keep track at this point. Uh, we, We are, you know, updating everything on shark bites. So stay tuned to that and we'll, we'll keep you updated.
0: Yeah, it's going to be especially important with all those Ravens guys in particular and Lamar Jackson specifically. I mean, we've got the, the running backs at least became active off that list ahead of yesterday's game, even though the, the two didn't play. But we're going to have to watch Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews to see if they're back for this game. I think we're going to assume at this point that they are, but we'll go through the whole schedule. We'll get to that one last. We're going to start with Bengals at the Dolphins. Dolphins are 11 and a half point favorites for this one, even though the over under is just 42 and a half. I mean, I think that combo of things tells you most of what you want to know about this game. Not a whole lot of fantasy goodness here. The Bengals did nearly beat the Giants last week, though, in Brandon Allen's first start. But it was mostly because the Giants stink.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I, I think the Bengals might be the worst offense in the NFL now with with no job. They're implied for 15 points. So the only two guys I'd want to start on the Bengals, not even want to start, I think are in play. T. Higgins is not one of them. I know he scored Last week, um, I love the player. I'm still not trusting him against when he's going to see a lot of Xavier Howard in coverage. Tyler Boyd is a guy I'd consider as like a wide receiver three in PPR. He did lead the Bengals with six targets last week, a 21% target share. He has the best matchup against the Dolphins corners in the slot. So I think Boyd is okay. Not much upside, obviously. And then Gio Bernard is still in play for me. You know, he got better usage again last week, played 78% of the snaps, 68% of the routes, eight of the nine running back carries, and three of the five running back targets. So again, there, there's very little upside here, but I think Gio is someone you can project for like 15 or so touches, and that that makes him an option at some point.
0: Yeah, I'll certainly give him that he's an option. I would say that T. Higgins is pretty close to Tyler Boyd for me. I, I hope that it's Boyd, because I think that well, I don't know. I guess I don't really. He's been the more reliable player, but T. Higgins has turned into a reliable player already this season and is probably the bigger talent. So I, neither one's attractive. I'm not looking at either one higher than the low wide receiver three territory, but they're not really far apart, I guess, if I'm considering um, both of them. T. Higgins did catch all five of his targets last week for 44 yards and that lone touchdown against the Giants.
1: Yeah, that's what I wouldn't count on. I wouldn't count on Higgins, you know, catching 100% of his targets from Brandon Allen every week.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Like you said though, there's really not much to like here. The target distribution as we as we kind of alluded to, six for Tyler Boyd last week, five apiece for T Higgins and Drew Sample for those Bengals. So that's how ugly it's getting. Joe Mixon by the way, at least two more games on IR. Zach Taylor's not yet ruling him out uh, ruling out his return this season. So if Joe Mixon does make it back after these next two games, though, he would return for a week 15 game against Pittsburgh, then get Houston in week 16, Baltimore in week 17, if you play to that point. So I think the best case scenario at this point, if you're a Joe Mixon owner or considering picking him up after somebody else dropped him, is that he makes it back for week fifteen? We see him play a game, and then we can use him for week sixteen against Houston.
1: Yeah, and I, necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily be counting on that. Um, it's, it's been a weird situation with the foot, and you know the Bengals obviously out of it, so they have no real incentive to rush mixing back. I do think he should still be rostered at this point, like you said, only two more teams on bye, so you know depth is less important at this point of the season than it is you know in the middle of the year. So he's worth rostering, but I definitely would not be counting on him the rest of the way. Yes, I agree with that. On the Dolphin side, we're going
0: to wait and see who the quarterback is. Tua tonga put in a limited practice Wednesday with that left thumb injury. Brian Flores says he's the starter when he's healthy. So we're going to have to watch this week to see if Tua is healthy enough to play. Ryan Fitzpatrick stepped in last week, 257 yards, two touchdowns on 39 attempts against the Jets. So it was like usable numbers, but I don't know, kind of disappointing considering that he was going up against the Jets.
1: Yeah, a little disappointing. He still finished quarterback eight on the week, um, and Fitz has now been a top fourteen fantasy quarterback in six straight starts. He's an option if he if he goes. Tua is not for me. He, he's he's just running a much more conservative offense. You know, M- Miami's offense just hasn't been as good with Tua this season as it has with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Devontae Parker is the big guy who gets a boost. With Fitzpatrick 7.7 targets a little over five catches and 69 yards per game with Fitz Uh, just six targets 3.8 catches and 40 yards per game with Tua so you know Parker like a high-end wide receiver two for me if it's Fitz uh, more like a wide receiver three if Tua gets back in there
0: yeah I agree with that eight for 119 on 14 targets last week for Parker his best game since week four against Seattle his first game over 64 yards since that game His fourth straight of seven-plus targets, third in that span with six-plus catches. So the volume should be okay either way, but certainly seems like he gets a boost, at least an upside with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And there, and I agree with Fitzpatrick being a streaming-level play, although I think we're going to get to some other streaming-level quarterbacks in terms of availability, who I like much better than Ryan Fitzpatrick
1: this week. In the backfield, they still
0: didn't activate Miles Gaskin yet from IR,
1: right? They haven't, and DeAndre Washington's been out in practice so far this week with a hamstring injury. Savon Ahmed has been limited with his shoulder. So you know, we, we don't know anything about this backfield right now. Maybe by Friday afternoon, we will. I know they have to activate Gaskin by Saturday if he's going to play. So, you know, honestly, I, I we can't break down this backfield at this point.
0: So, yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. I would like to be able to avoid it if you can. Um, You know, if you can't, then I guess you have to wait till the weekend to see what's up. Matt Breida started last week, but eight carries, two targets in that game. DeAndre Washington led with 13 carries, five targets before that hamstring injury. Just a situation to move on from. So instead, let's go to bashing Mike Jasaki a little bit. (laughs) I did score a touchdown last week, but he has seen 12.8%. No, I'm sorry, for that game. He saw 12.8% target share against the Jets, just five of the 39 pass attempts from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Caught just two of them. He has reached three catches in just five of his 11 games. He's exceeded three catches in a game only three times, and that touchdown was Jaseki's first one since week three.
1: Yeah, he has one of the higher A dots in the league among among tight ends. I think that's what's given him a fairly low catch rate and a fairly high yards per catch, you know, Relative to other tight ends, so you know he's definitely a lower floor option. The matchup's good here. The Bengals twenty fourth and adjusted points allowed to tight ends just gave up that big game to Evan Ingram. So some upside to Kasicki, but he, he's outside our top twelve for the week as he has been most of the season.
0: Yeah, I would say it's a combo of the longer A dot and him not being very good here. <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars at Minnesota Vikings Vikings by 10 and a half and over under 52 and a half so watch out here come the points in this one the
1: Vikings by the way now carry the second highest over under on the week I think Jacksonville is capable of you know scoring enough with them um, I, Minnesota's defense has been better but I still don't think it's a great unit. I think it's especially beatable through the air and you know Mike Glenn wasn't great last week But he he was aggressive. Um, He had an 11.3-yard average depth of throw. That was third highest on the week. He was also third highest in the league last week in the percentage of his throws that went 20-plus yards downfield. So, you know, Lennon remains just a low-end quarterback too. But I think, you know, how he played last week is good news for these wide receivers and hopefully we get dj chark back this week
0: yeah he's the one to watch rib injury kept him out last week he was limited wednesday so seems to be trending in the right direction but we'll see chris conley has a hip injury he was also limited wednesday also missed last week's game so we'll see about chris conley i mean the bigger thing for chris conley is that his return would just further complicate an already kind of busy situation where you probably don't want to use anybody outside of dj chark i agree chark is the one to watch And Glennon was better than we probably should have expected heading into last week. Also worth remembering that he was facing a depleted Browns defense, didn't have Miles Garrett, didn't have Denzel Ward, lost safety Ronnie Harrison on the first snap of the game. So it was a pretty good matchup, and he still only completed 57% of his passes.
1: Yeah, again, you know, definitely not ready to trust Mike Glenn, especially at this point of the season. Rookie Collin Johnson was the breakout guy in the Jags wide receiver core last week, you know, if Chark and Conley both remain out I and mean, he's still going to be on the field, I still wouldn't want to trust him at this point. Keelan Cole, he had the 100% route rate last week, saw six targets, really just missed a couple of touchdowns in that game. So Cole would still be my top guy here if Chark and Conley are still out.
0: Yeah, and if you're playing in a deep league, he certainly could be in play. And those kind of guys, Colin Johnson, Keelan Cole, could be in play for DFS, depending yep. on who's back for this game. Um, James Robinson, uh, it's not a discussion of whether you're starting him at this point but I think it's worth noting the guy has not hit any rookie wall even though he's coming from a lower level FBS school and has got a ton of work this year 17 plus carries in five straight games coming into this one 22 plus carries in four of those five games and he's catching plenty of passes right now too
1: yeah I mean just one of the steadier running backs in fantasy right now not I had been fading Robinson all season I finally actually played him last week in DK cash so it was you know fun to actually root for the guy For once, Um, a note on his usage last week, he, you know, the the knock against him for me had been that he had kind of been running like half routes and, you know, sometimes even fewer than half of the routes. Um, He was up to a season high 83% last week. So, you know, he, I think we can kind of expect the targets to keep coming, whereas they felt a bit fluky earlier on this season. Yeah, running half routes was always a knock on Randy Moss
0: as well. Um, James Robinson, five-plus targets in three of his past five games, had a season-high 128 rushing yards. I wish I had played more of him and a lot Mm -hmm. less of Kareem Hunt last week after I talked myself into too much of that. Um, Titans also in week 14 for him. So, I mean, James Robinson is a lock, and he's he's your fantasy MVP right now, I think.
1: Yeah gotta
0: be. On the Vikings side, we mentioned Vegas expects a lot of points. They trail only the Chiefs, an implied team total for this week, 31 and a half points. That also puts them closer to the Chiefs than it does to the number three Titans on that list. So again, lots of points expected here. Irv Smith still missed practice Wednesday, listed with just a back injury this week. He was listed with both the back and the groin last week. The groin been an issue for a couple of games. So I don't know, I guess maybe it's progress that he only has one injury listing him now, but Starting the week off the practice field, yeah. if he's not playing, Kyle Rudolph becomes a good option again. Even if Smith does return, I think Rudolph is like a lower level option.
1: Yeah, well, it, it sounds like Smith missed again on Thursday. No official practice report from the Vikings, but the beat writers say he, he wasn't out there. So I, I don't expect him to play. Um, that does make Rudolph like a top top eight tight end option, I guess. Um, you know, good matchup here. The usage has been good. 13 total targets, 11 catches over the past two weeks. Uh, Jacksonville, 22nd in Football Outsiders tight end coverage rankings. Like you said, the Vikings have the huge implied total, so that makes Rudolph one of the better touchdown bats at the position, I think.
0: You know, staying on the injury subject, Dalvin Cook limited Wednesday with his ankle. Seems like he's trending toward playing, so he would, shouldn't worry too much about that. But coach did admit that Dalvin Cook is banged up at this point. So I wonder if maybe we see his workload limited a little bit if they do manage to pull away from Jacksonville in this yeah. one. I don't think it's a situation that alters your plan for Dalvin cook in a season long, you know, redraft league. It might be a reason to lean away from him for DFS lineups.
1: Yeah. I was going to say the same exact thing. You're starting him in season long, uh, maybe not paying up for him in DFS. I mean, did they have a capable backup in Alexander Madison? If they do, if this game does go how Vegas expects and Minnesota wins easily, I wouldn't be surprised. Cook's averaged like three touches per game since he came back from that injury. So maybe he gets 22 or 23 in this game. It's still, still a great number, obviously.
0: Yeah, it could also be the kind of thing like they had in Seattle where he has a good game in the first half and then he's out and Alexander Madison comes in. And it right. also might be the, the kind of setup like Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray the past couple weeks where Dalvin Cook's playing, but maybe they limit his work to try to rest that thing and, and get him better for the end of the season. So we'll see. Just something to consider as you're building different kinds of lineups. Adam Thielen's the other health consideration here. Do we know yet? what his chances are of coming off the COVID list this week?
1: He was activated from the COVID list. So, you know, barring any relapse or whatever, he'll, he'll be back this week. Good good news for Kirk Cousins, obviously.
0: Absolutely. makes Kirk Cousins an even stronger starter. And Kirk Cousins has been terrific lately. 11 touchdown passes, one interception over his past four games. He had three touchdown passes and 20 attempts against Detroit within that span. He had a 314 and three on just 30 attempts against Dallas in week 11. So, you know, we're a little worried about low passing volume for Kirk Cousins, but he's been doing it even on limited volume at times. Maybe the Dalvin Cook thing also motivates them to throw the ball a little bit more. Eighth among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game in the five weeks since Minnesota's bye. Kirk Cousins leads the league in passer rating over that five week span.
1: Yeah, he's been playing well. I mean, when he's had the volume, he's been awesome. Um, and again, I think Jacksonville can score enough in this game to, you know, keep Cousins throwing enough. Jackson, by the way, they faced the eighth most pass attempts this season. They've also faced faced the fifth most running back carries you know teams are just running a whole bunch of plays against Jacksonville um you know the the concern with with Cousins is is always you know is he just gonna not throw it enough but um, I I sort of think he will in this game and even if he doesn't he could score you know two or three touchdowns on limited volume
0: right he has five games this season where he's thrown two plus touchdown passes on fewer than 30 attempts so easily inside the top 12 for me and I've, I've probably got Kirk Cousins even higher than we have him in the week 13 rankings right now jaguars rated worst defense overall in dvoa 31st against the pass ahead of only the jets in that category
1: yeah and they're still without uh corners cj henderson and dj hayden Sidney jones is banged up so you know a bad secondary is just even worse heading into this game
0: mm-hmm, and lo- lots of injury issues at safety as well The Saints and Falcons are going to rematch. Saints are three-point favorites on the road this time. Over-under 45.5. It's down two from open and way down from where we're used to seeing the Saints and Falcons in over-under. I think Alvin Kamara is the first guy to focus on here because his playing time has been down to his lowest two snap counts of the season and lowest two snap shares of the season the past two weeks. He has been playing through a foot issue has not had an injury designation for either game, but it seems pretty clear that they're trying to ease up the pressure on him in these two games. I think what will be interesting to watch heading into this one is both his level of practice participation leading up to the game, because each of the past two weeks, he's had multiple limited days. He missed a day of practice two weeks ago heading into that first Falcons game. Also, each of the past two games have seen the Saints win by double digits. So I will be curious to see if, this game is closer if that means Kamara plays more, or if they're just trying to limit his work in general right now.
1: I think just the offense they're running with Taysom Hill is probably a bigger factor in all this than than the foot or, or anything else. I mean, it's just such a run heavy offense. Even, even if you look, you know, back when Breeze was under center, Kamara wasn't ever out carrying Latavius Murray by a ton. I mean, he he was just you know the clear primary pass catching back. And that that's just gone in this Taysom Hill offense. Um just three total targets for Alvin Kamara over the past two weeks. Um Latavius Murray's actually outcarried him. I don't know if I expect Murray to continue out carrying Kamara. I mean I would bet on Kamara finishing with more carries this week, but I do think it's going to remain, you know, something closer to a 50-50 split. And I think most importantly I don't think six, seven, eight target Alvin Kamara is going to return with Taysom Hill under center. So that really makes him you know like a borderline RB one uh, in in PPR right now.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. There's certainly plenty of carries to support both guys if the offense is working. The Saints have run on 64% of offensive plays in the two games with Taysom Hill. That's inflated a bit by last week, but they also ran on 58% of the plays in that first meeting with the Falcons. Again, both of those are double-digit victories, so that's going to drive up the rushing volume. We'll see if Atlanta can change that this time. Uh, I'm not sure. The Falcons are kind of all over the place in terms of how difficult an opponent they are, mm-hmm. so we'll see. I do think that Latavius Murray is in play either way, even if we get, you know, full practice from Alvin Kamara closing out the week and he looks like he's in good shape for the game. Latavius Murray got 12 carries, two targets in that first game against Atlanta. So even if we look past last week's goofball game against Denver, 12 carries, two targets against Atlanta, 85 total yards. I mean, that's a guy that I'm starting.
1: Yeah, for sure. Again, 31 carries for Murray over the last two weeks versus just 24 For Alvin Kamara, I think you can expect you know twelve plus carries out of Murray here. Atlanta is decent against the run, um, but I still think you know Murray a pretty good touchdown bet in this game. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Michael Thomas
0: was off the injury report for Week Eleven. He's back on it for Week Twelve with the ankle limited all week. Started this week limited with the same thing. So I don't think it's altering your plan for Michael Thomas, but it's at least worth noting that he's probably not hundred percent Michael Thomas at this point. That said. He's been fine with Taysom Hill, 18 targets among 39 pass attempts in Taysom Hill's two games, a 46% target share. I mean we can kind of throw out last week for many reasons and for many players. But yeah. even if we look at that, if we're disappointed by Michael Thomas's numbers there, you got to look at it in the scope of Taysom Hill only throwing 16 passes in that game. So six targets out of that's a pretty good share. Still a four for 50 receiving line is decent in that kind of setup.
1: Yep. And of course had the nine catch 104 yard game against Atlanta just a couple of weeks ago, 12 targets in that game out of uh, 23 Taysom Hill pass times. So I expect Hill's, Passing numbers to be closer to that this week than you know anything that what we saw last week where he just didn't have to do a whole lot and and against a tougher Broncos pass defense. Hill and obviously back indoors here this week, so I, I think it's a you know good spot for Michael Thomas.
0: And I would guess that this game will be a little closer to than the first Saints-Falcons game because the, the Saints have not dominated the Falcons a lot when they've faced off. And Atlanta has not played many games this season as poorly as they did that one, even considering that they haven't been a very good team and they got their coach fired early this season. They've been more competitive than they were in that game overall. Yep, I agree. Emmanuel Sanders, four catches for 66 yards on five targets in that first game against Atlanta, 23 team pass attempts in that one again, so he saw about a 20% share, a little bit more than 20%. He's a deep option this week, certainly downside if there's not much more pass volume.
1: Yeah, he had the, he was the one that caught that goofy deep pass where Hill just like chucked it up and it looked like a punt and Sanders just ran under it and caught it. You know, he would have had a pretty... Poor fantasy game without that. You know, overall, he has a 15% target share in Hill's two starts. You know, not a great number when you're talking about a run heavy offense. So I would, I would try not to use Sanders.
0: He also falls in this very nebulous range at wide receiver, once you get past like yep. 46 or so, there's, there's like 20 guys that I could put in any order. Yeah, hopefully, you're not looking down that far, but. I'm sure there are leagues deep enough where people are considering. Oh, sure. Let's hope that there are. Yeah. On the Falcons side, Raheem Morris hopes to have Julio Jones and Todd Gurley back for this one. Both of them put in limited practices Wednesday. So it seems to be trending in the right direction. Both sat out all last week before missing that game. I think Gurley's a low RB two if he's back. It's a bad matchup for him, but he should reclaim the large share of the backfield touches. And if Gurley's out, I'm not playing anybody.
1: No, I mean, I would try to avoid this backfield regardless. I mean, I don't know how big of a concern Gurley's knee will be if he does come back. Um, I mean, the Saints are just – they're first now in adjusted points allowed to running backs. They're second in football outsiders, Rundy. They're eighth in running back coverage. So, you know, a tough matchup on the ground and in the passing game for running backs. Um, I think Gurley, you know, if he doesn't score, he's going to hurt your fantasy team this week. Julio did not practice on Thursday. So I don't know if it's a setback or just a planned day off, but for now I would you know, not plan on having Julio in fantasy lineups this week.
0: Yeah, he's one that we always have to watch because Atlanta's shown us before that they're even willing to play him in games where he doesn't practice at all the week leading up. And he's capable of being Julio. I mean, it's obviously an issue that we're going to have to to watch. It's a hamstring on him this time, right? Yes. So yeah, that's especially worrisome. We'll we'll see about the participation Friday, about the game designation. Certainly, make sure that you have plans in place for not having Julio for this game. Hayden Hurst was also limited Wednesday. That's at least progress over his participation level last week, where he went no practice, no practice, limited, and then played through the knee issue for the game. Playing time was down against the Raiders, season low forty seven percent snap share, but. He still drew eight targets, caught four of them. He's caught four plus passes for forty-eight plus yards in five of his past six games. The only time he didn't was that first matchup with the Saints. I'm gonna, I'm willing to overlook that one because again, the Falcons were dominated in that game to a level that they are not usually dominated. So I would say that Hayden Hurst is still a fairly easy play at a rocky position this week.
1: Yeah, like a low on tight end one for me. Um, right. I don't expect another goose egg, but I mean, the, the Saints are third in football outsiders tight end coverage rankings. They're ninth in adjusted points allowed to the position. So it is one of the tougher tight end matchups. And, you know, especially if Hurst is still not at 100 percent, that obviously hurts, too. So, yeah, I mean, he's I'd play Hurst over Mike Gusecki still, but, you know, that's that's about the line.
0: Yeah, I should maybe fairly easy is overstating it, but I think that Hayden Hurst is around 11 or 12 this week on the list.
1: Yeah, like Kyle Rudolph, I would definitely uh, pick up if he's available and start over Hayden Hurst.
0: I agree with that. Uh, Matt Ryan is okay, I think, if Julio's back. I I started my notes for this planning to say I want no part of Matt Ryan, because if you just look at the touchdown passes in recent weeks, it looks awful. But... He's only been under 17 fantasy points the past two weeks. He had four straight games of 19.9 fantasy points or more before that. Again, I would not expect this week to go as poorly as the first Saints meeting where he took eight sacks. I, I, I don't think the Saints are likely to do that to him again. Last year in the game at Atlanta, he threw for 312 and two touchdowns against the Saints. I think that, and he should have had at least one more touchdown pass last week against the Raiders. Olamide Zacchaeus at least let one go through his hands. So, Matt Ryan, not a comfy start. He's not inside my top 12, but I wouldn't go reaching too
1: far to replace him. I mean, for me, for me, it's Julio Jones. You know, Ryan's fantasy viability hinges on whether he gets Julio back. His weekly finishes this season without a healthy Julio Jones 28th, 25th, 24th, 25th, and 18th, a bunch of those have been against tough pass defenses but the saints are a tough pass defense too and ryan hasn't had a ton of success against new orleans lately even with julio jones so i think he's okay if he gets jones back if jones remains out i would you know look for better options yeah i mean if jones is
0: out i might have to think about playing jared goff over him
1: i would play jared goff over him um and man i always get jared goff wrong but (laughs) um, yeah i I would play something like that over ryan if julio's out
0: um before we get out of this game Taysom hill kind of glanced over what are you doing with Taysom hill this week
1: I mean, I think he's a top 10 option. He finished quarterback four against the Falcons a couple weeks ago. He scored two rushing touchdowns in that game. He scored two again last week. I mean, I do think he's a pretty strong rushing touchdown bat. But, you know, he was good as a passer in that game, too. 18 of 23 for 233 yards. So I, I feel pretty good about Taysom back indoors and back in a good matchup.
0: And we haven't gotten to the Titans game yet, but J3Chris1518 from Periscope wants to know, Taysom Hill or Ryan Tannehill this week, four-point passing touchdowns?
1: I mean, I think they're like back-to-back in our rankings. Um, I guess I would lean Taysom Hill. I just think he's safer because mm. if you know, Derrick Henry gets rolling, he gets 30 carries. And you know, we've seen Tannehill have some pretty ugly fantasy games, when he only throws it 17 times.
0: I'm leaning Ryan Tannehill as a safer one because he's in the better offense. We've got more of a track record on him. I think they're going to score enough points to support everybody. And I mean, Taysom Hill is basically Cam Newton with nicer furniture.
1: that's the thing, though, these Russian quarterbacks, I mean, I think they're a lot safer than you realize when you go look at the fantasy points every week. If you're going to get 50 rushing yards out of Hill, you know, that's a pretty nice floor. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you
0: that. It's close. I I feel better about Ryan Tannehill. I could certainly see either of them outscoring each other. I think they're both top 10. So I don't think there's a bad choice between them.
1: And I think Tannehill has more upside um, because I just don't think Hill's going to have a big a big passing game. Um, So you kind of need him to score like twice again on the ground to have another top five finish.
0: Although watch him now throw for three ten and three touchdowns this
1: week. He could, I mean.
0: Las Vegas Raiders at the New York Jets. Raiders by seven and a half on the road. Surprises me a little bit, but it is the Jets. Over under a 47. Derek Carr, a stinker last week against Atlanta. But then he and his wife had their fourth child on Monday. It's the first daughter among that group. So is it a distracted Derek Carr?
1: Is it a sleepless Derek Carr? We got some baby swag coming this week. I mean, based on my experience, it's baby swag through my <laughs> best weeks of the year right after I had my daughter. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm just giving Cara Mulligan for last week's game. I mean, he, he's been good all season. He sucked in Atlanta inexplicably. It's the NFL. That kind of stuff happens. You know, obviously a prime bounce back spot here. The Jets dead last in football outsiders past defense rankings. I mean, the nice thing about the Jets, too, is they're still pretty good against the run. Like, football outsiders has them eighth against the run. Josh Jacobs banged up with an ankle injury. So the Jets, by the way, have faced the fourth most pass attempts in the NFL. You know, teams do throw against them more than you'd expect. Um, So I I like Carr um, as, a, you know, again, one of those solid streaming options this week.
0: Yeah, I think he's right around the bottom of QB1 territory. The actual reasons to worry, I'm not actually worried because he just had a child this week, but the actual reasons to worry is that he has endured 10 dropped passes over the past three games, which is most in the league Over that span. So he doesn't have good surrounding talent that he's throwing to Nelson Aguilar, who has turned into his number one wideout, didn't practice Wednesday as an ankle injury. So we're gonna have to watch him. I I don't think he missed any time against Atlanta. He was over 90% in snap share in that game. I didn't see him uh, hobbling when I was watching that game back. So, you know, we'll see about his status heading into the game against the Jets. But that's something to watch. And the, the whole Kirk Cousins concern, I think Even if Josh Jacobs is banged up and they limit him, and we saw it happen a few weeks ago when he was banged up another time, I think the Raiders are going to try to run it as much as they can. And I think they'll run it enough. The Jets are are solid in run defense, but they've also allowed the ninth most PPR points per game to the position. So even if it's inefficient, they'll get it done three and a half yards at a time. This this just strikes me as a game that's going to end like 20 to seven.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, Carr, Tannehill and Cousins are all in the same boat. Like I think they're all going to, be efficient when they throw it. It's just how much do they throw? And I guess I'm with you that I do expect Jacksonville and Cleveland to, you know, put up more points in those respective games and keep Tanhill and cousins throwing. But again, you know, the the drop thing you mentioned that that's almost a mark in favor of Carl. Like I don't expect the Raiders to continue dropping that many passes. He's had a bad supporting cast all season. And you know, he's, he's been good with it.
0: Uh, He's been okay. But I think that's part of why they want to run the ball so much because they've got Nelson Aguilar and Hunter Renfro and Henry Ruggs. And some other dudes. So I I don't, I don't think it's a mark in his favor. Maybe there's, even if we get some regression on the drops, we're talking about, you know, 35 more passing yards. I don't think we're talking about two extra touchdowns. Yep, that's fair. Josh Jacobs mentioned got the ankle injury, so we're going to have to watch his participation this week. If he's out, Devontae Booker becomes interesting. I mentioned the Jets, even though they're solid run defense, giving up a lot of fantasy points, that's what happens when you're just bad and the other team has the ball a lot and scores points on you. The Raiders are running on 46.4% of offensive plays so far this season. So I think Devontae Booker is kind of in play as a very low option, even if Jacobs plays. And then certainly if Jacobs is out, I think Booker is, is close to the bottom of RB2 range.
1: I mean, I keep having to remind myself that it's still Devontae Booker. Like he was so bad in Denver, but he's looked good like, every time he's touched the ball for the Raiders. He's he's, a, he's averaging five point five yards per carry. He's twenty first in elusive rating among sixty five qualified running backs. So you know the the PFF numbers say he's been good too. But I mean, really, it's just a volume play. Like if Jacobs is out, I think Booker has a real chance at twenty total touches. I think it you know make him a, a really nice RB
0: two play. It's also the uniforms. The silver and black just make guys look good when they're doing things in that uniform.
1: Hasn't made Henry Ruggs look too good this year. <laughs>
0: it's because he's not doing anything. <laughs> but next time he catches a touchdown, you'll be like, ooh, Henry Ruggs <laughs> looks good. <laughs> yeah. Aaron Waller hasn't been doing a whole lot lately either. The volume remains good, the opportunities, but he's under 40 receiving yards in four of his past five games, eight and a half yards per catch on the season. That's down 4.2 yards from his average for last year. So, I mean, he remains a volume play. He remains an easy starter in redraft leagues, yeah. but it, it's been a rough patch.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't have his A dot in front of me, but every Raiders game I watch, it's you know Waller catching balls two yards downfield. So I think that you know that explains the low yards per catch. But yeah, he's still an easy uh, season long starter. You know, maybe overpriced in DFS.
0: Yeah, there hasn't been a whole lot of time for Derek Carr. Even last week against the Falcons, weak pass rush. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's less of a concern against the Jets, but you know it seems like a concern against everybody right now for the Raiders. Yep. On the Jets' side, Sam Darnold says defenses are trying to take away Jamison Crowder. It's working. His past three games, since his return from injury, he has totaled 11 targets, six catches, 73 yards. I mean, a few weeks ago, Jamison Crowder was a gimme.
1: Now he is barely in play, I think. Yeah, I really expected him to get going again uh, with Darnold back last week. It didn't happen. His you know, route rates have still been strong, 95% two weeks ago, 91% last week. So he's still on the field. Like it would not surprise me if Crowder pops back up this week and has the best game among Jets wide receivers. But I think just based on what we've seen over the past month now, I think you have to rank Mims and Perriman ahead of Crowder at this point. I don't have to. You can't make them. <laughs> You should be.
0: I think they're in similar range just because I, I think the way that the Jets are really is we can't predict what's going to happen. I mean, we could get – 14 Jamison Crowder targets again this week, or we could get five Jamison Crowder targets and we could get 10 for Denzel Mims. I, I would rather not have any of them than trust any one of them this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been I've been talking about Mims for a couple of weeks now. I, I like him this week. I you know, be fine starting him as like a wide receiver three or flex and season long. I think he's going to be a nice DFS play. I haven't even seen pricing yet. I assume he's cheap enough still. Darnold, by the way, uh, you know, he, I think a little Joe Flacco rubbed off on him because he was aggressive throwing downfield last week. He was second in the league last week in both average depth of throw and uh, percentage of throws They in twenty plus yards downfield. So I, I think the Jets are just trying to get you know Mims. And Perriman the ball downfield. Mims, by the way, third among all wide receivers in air yards over the last four weeks. Perriman fourth among all wide receivers in air yards over the last four weeks. So the the floor is still low on these guys, you know, in this offense. But I think they, you know, both have the potential to hit a big player too this week.
0: I mean, Sam Darnold was supposed to be a gunslinger coming into the league. Maybe he just finally feels like he has bullets now. Could be. Rashad paraman you kind of mentioned Denzel Mims. They're, they're both in play. I mean, it, you're going to have to decide mm-hmm. how comfy you are playing a Jets receiver this week, though. I can't tell you that any of them is actually a good play. They definitely all have upside yeah. in the spot. And, you know, we expect the Jets to be trailing, which certainly helps the passing volume. So personal decision, I think. You can see where they are in the Draft Sharks rankings. Frank Gore, 15 and 18 carries the past two weeks, two-plus mm-hmm. catches in three-straight. He's a decent option against a Raiders defense, allowing the fourth most PPR points per game to running backs.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're the tanking Jets. Why not just keep giving the ball to a 45-year-old running back? Um, yeah, 18 of 21 running back carries, 3 of 5 running back targets last week. He did only run a pass route on 29% of the dropbacks. So, you know, maybe we can't count on another 3-plus targets, but you know the, the rushing volume alone makes him like an RB3 or flex option. I mean, the old man's got to rest sometime. I, I don't know when. Indianapolis
0: Colts at the Houston Texans Colts by three and a half over under 51 points. Usually we start with the away team, but we got to start with the big news on this one on the Houston side, and that is Will Fuller being suspended for the rest of the season plus one game. I mean, we'll see exactly where and when that one game is. Yeah. I think it makes Brandon Cooks a very easy play. He was already a fairly easy play on a weekly basis. Now he's the undisputed number one wideout for Houston. It also makes Deshaun Watson, for me at least, a bit more of a question mark than he would have been. The Colts have allowed the fourth fewest QB points per game on the season. They've also allowed three games over 300 yards, though, and three games of three touchdown passes, including to Matthew Stafford and Gardner Minshew. So, I mean, I started out the week a little bit wary of Deshaun Watson and thinking I might have him more like 12, but I think at this point in the year... I'm probably going to stick with Deshaun Watson over most of the guys that I might actually consider, you know, against him, such as like Kirk Cousins.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I wanted to rank Watson lower, but it's a tough week at quarterback. And we'll talk about some of the other um, high-end quarterbacks that are in tough spots as well. So tough to push Watson much further down. I, I, I wouldn't start, um, you know, the, these guys like Cousins, Tannehill, Carr, or Watson either. Um, I, I'm definitely concerned though. you talked about the matchup against the Colts is on the tough side. Um, after that, by the way, Watson gets the Bears and then the Colts again. So three straight tough matchups coming up. Um, and, you know, his – Watson splits with and without Will Fuller are pretty drastic. Um, with Will Fuller over his career, 284 passing yards, 2.2 touchdowns per game, 8.7 yards per attempt. Without Fuller, 229 yards, just 1.2 touchdowns per game. Um, yards per attempt down over a yard and a half to 7.3 and, you know, a, a lot of those games without Fuller came with DeAndre Hopkins, who, you know, Watson doesn't have now either. So it's definitely a concern for me. Uh, I don't know. Again, I would stick with him in almost all cases this week. He's been playing so well this season. Uh, maybe he can overcome this. Uh, so, yeah, I'd stick with him this week. You know, maybe we can reevaluate based on what he does in this game. Uh, he's only
0: had, yeah, he's only had two games so far this season without multiple touchdowns. It was yeah. week 10 and bad weather against Cleveland and way back in week two against Baltimore. So you know, the without Will Fuller stuff is definitely worrisome. We also haven't ever seen Deshaun Watson in this exact setup with these exact guys around him that he has right now. So, you know, all we can do is kind of guess based on what he's missing and how he's played in the past. So I, I think that it's reasonable to consider players such as Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill over Deshaun Watson this week, Taysom Hill, I would put in the same category. So if I had to make the decision in my own lineup, I think I would keep Watson in the lineup. But I think that all of those guys are right together where you need to weigh them and decide who you're most comfortable going with. I do think, for what it's worth, that Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins beat Deshaun Watson on ceiling this
1: week. Maybe. Um, I, don't know. I I think Watson is a high ceiling player. Maybe he's not going to be without Will Fuller. I, mean, I at least like that this game's indoors. That's always nice this time of year. I don't know how predictive this is, but Watson has ran for more yards per game without Fuller than with him. Maybe you know the Texans look to do more with him as a runner with the depleted wide receiver core. So I, I, I would I, I'd stick with Watson over the guys like um, Tannehill, Cousins, and Carr this week. Speaking of running, David Johnson
0: is has been designated to return from IR this week, so not activated yet, but unless he has some kind of recurrence of concussion symptoms, I would assume that he's going to be back for this game. Not a great matchup for him, so I would like to not have to use him, but he should also jump back in front of Duke Johnson, who didn't do a whole lot without him.
1: Yeah, so I would expect David Johnson to be back in the role he was uh, before the concussion if he does return this week. Uh, yet, you know, tough matchup on paper. Um, we'll see if the Colts get DeForest Buckner back this week. Bobby Okereke, their starting linebacker, missed last week too, and you know, I think those injuries were part of the reason Derek Henry had such a big game. So that's definitely worth monitoring. But yeah, I, I do think you'll get 15-plus touches out of David Johnson if he's back this week.
0: Yeah, they were missing both DeForest Buckner and Danico Autry up front. I think Autry's already come off the COVID list. I'm not sure about DeForest Buckner yet, so we'll see about those guys. But that's certainly key. It changes the matchup for everybody um, going up against the Colts. Jordan Akins, I think, is also more attractive – now without will fuller in the mix then he would have been otherwise even in this negative matchup for tight end scoring to me jordan akins is more attractive at tight end this week than kiki cutie is at wide receiver akins playing time has been good even on thanksgiving where he didn't give us anything the playing time was fine and both of the targets that he didn't catch in that game came in the end zone
1: yeah i mean if he catches either of those people are a lot more excited about him this week, his, his playing time was okay. The problem is they're using, well, last week they used four tight ends. Um, Jordan Akins ran out on 54% of the dropbacks. Pharaoh Brown was at 31. Darren fells at 20. And then Kahali Warring, remember him? He's, he's back. He ran out on 11% of the dropbacks. Um, wh- where were the athletic Ryder is for the Texans predicted that they're going to use more two tight end sets going forward. They were already second in the league in two tight end sets over the last month at about 32%. So I don't know how much more of that can, can climb. I, I do think Aikens is the best play among Texans tight ends. Um, he's, he's still outside the top 12 for me though, just because um, again, you know, he only ran her out on about half of the dropbacks last week.
0: For sure. He's a guy who will sit around like, you know, 15 to 18 in the rankings, but has the upside to finish seventh. Yep, for sure. Okay, so back to the Indy side now that we talked through those guys. Phillip Rivers, no practice Wednesday with his toe injury. Last week, he didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. He put up an okay game, 295 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. I call it okay because he put up his second lowest completion rate of the season at 57.1%. And the only game that was lower was against the Bears in week four. The Tennessee Titans are nowhere near the Bears in terms of pass defense. The previous matchup. Against Tennessee, Rivers completed 74% of his passes. So I think we have to assume that it is affecting him somehow. Mm-hmm. He's a, a streaming level option, but maybe not as much upside as he might normally have at full health.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, like I prefer Tannehill Cousins and Carr over Rivers this week. You know, Rivers still finished quarterback nine last week. A lot of it was garbage time. We have Jacoby Brissett stealing goal line carries now, which is just super annoying if you're a Rivers owner or if you're really an owner of any of these Colts. Running backs. Um, but the matchup's good here. Um, Houston 22nd in football outsiders, past D, 21st in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. And they just lost their top corner, really their only good corner in Bradley Roby, who was also suspended for PED. So n- nice spot for Rivers. He's expected to get his center, Ryan Kelly, back this week, although he lost his left tackle last week. So, you know, still some concerns on the O line, especially with JJ Watt coming to town. Um, and then, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on the injury.
0: T.Y. Hilton, by the way, leads the NFL in end zone targets over the past two weeks, according to Pro Football Focus, five of them in that span. Overall, though, just five, six, and five targets in his past three games. Yeah. Had 4 catches for 81 and a touchdown against the Titans last week, but that was the first time that he's been over 40 yards since week five. It was his second time over 53 yards all season and his first touchdown of the year. So I think all that makes T.Y. Hilton more of an upside DFS option at his low cost then he is a good option for redraft lineups.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. You know, one, one decent week. Um, I wouldn't want to you know go trusting T.Y. Hilton at this point in the season. That was only his second game all year with double-digit PPR points. Um, I, I still think Michael Pittman is the top play among Colts wide receivers. You know, he dudded last week with just two catches, but he saw nine targets. That was a 20.5% target share. Uh, ran a pass route on 94% of the dropbacks. I mean, he, he's a full-time player in this offense. Now I think he's the Colts best wide receiver. I think, you know, he's the guy that they want to be their lead receiver. So I I like Pittman as a wide receiver three play this week.
0: Mm -hmm. Certainly a boom bust type, but the nine targets were second on the team and it last week behind only Naheem Hines at 10. So they certainly are trying to get him the ball. Jonathan Taylor activated off the COVID list. Is he still, or is he back to being the first Colts running back into your lineup?
1: Uh, I mean, I think it's got to be close in PPR with Hines, but I I do think Taylor is at least a favorite heading into the game to lead the way in carries. You know, that Packers game before he missed last week with the COVID issue was, you know, again, I thought his best game so far this season. Um, An awesome matchup here, too. The Texans 27th in run defense DVOA, 31st in adjusted points allowed two running backs. And we, we've been burned by Taylor plenty, but again, I think he, he he's going to get the first shot to, you know, establish that hot hand this week.
0: Yeah. Like if he were the clear lead back, I think he'd be a top 10 running back this week as, yeah. as it is, I think he's a top 20 running back.
1: Yep, yeah, that's fair.
0: And we know it's a hot hand situation. So you have to know going in, there's a chance that Taylor does something bad on the first drive. Naheem Hines does something good. And then he leads the team and touches the rest of the way. I mean, know that going in, it's, there's potential for frustration no matter who you play.
1: Yeah. I mean, Heinz is still the safest cause you know, he's, he's going to be the pass catcher. Even if he messes up, they're going to, they're going to keep him in that role.
0: And before we get away from the Texans game, uh, Brandon cooks or Robert Woods in a half PPR. I'd lean woods.
1: I don't know. Like, I I believe we didn't want to talk about Brandon cooks. Like, I I think he's good enough to be Houston's number one wideout and sort of deal with the increased defensive attention. He's going to get a target boost without Will Fuller, but and Indy has been tough against wide receivers All season, I think it's just a slightly better spot for Robert Woods, and really, I think their target projections are pretty similar. Yeah, I think the Colts are
0: better in their front seven than they are in their back four or five. So, uh, I think that Brandon Cooks is capable of beating this matchup as well. And Mm -hmm. I mean, if he gets twelve targets, which is realistic, then he could have an inefficient game and still put up a good score. Uh, They're both good plays. If you're deciding between them, then you have a strong lineup this week. I I, will get to Woods in a little bit. I think I would lean Woods as well, but it's close. Yep. Browns at Titans Titans by five and a half over under a 53 and a half on the Brown side. Kareem hunt was limited Wednesday with a thigh issue. It's new this week. So maybe it limited his playing time last week, somewhat assuming that he's okay to play. I think he and Nick Chubb are both in starter territory for this game. As I mentioned, Kareem hunt let me down in DFS last week. He still had 10 carries for 62 yards though. Saw two targets. So that's fine. Uh, usage. And it was his lowest playing time since week four. Now they get Tennessee 17th in run defense DVOA, 28th in overall defensive DVOA. So there should be plenty of touches for both Browns running backs again.
1: Yeah, we we did see a bit of a usage change in in this backfield last week where for the first time all season, Nick Chubb ran more pass routes than Kareem Hunt also out-targeted him 3-2. to You know, we'll see if that's a trend or if it was just like a one game blip maybe that thigh injury did have something to do with it for Kareem Hunt but um, you know trump obviously is locked in fantasy lineups I, I still like Kareem Hunt as an RB2 here and I think he's going to get 10 plus carries and I still think he's a good bet for like two to four targets
0: Baker Mayfield's okay but he hasn't reached 30 pass attempts in a game since week five so he's to me he's a low floor low ceiling option
1: yeah, the Browns pretty significant underdogs here. You know, they they obviously want to run the ball as much as possible if they do fall behind. I think Baker will have success against a pretty bad Titans pass defense 27th and football outsiders pass the 30th and adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. But again, you know, th- this week with guys like Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, I think they're better streaming options this week than Baker. Definitely. Jarvis
0: Landry is at least back in a comfy starting territory after his first really good game of the year last week. Doesn't mean he can't let us down, but the target share has been terrific overall with Odell Beckham out. So it was just nice to see him have a a wide receiver one type of week.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we talked about it It was his first game without OBJ in decent weather. Um, 30% target share now in four games without Odell Beckham. Um, Hopefully the weather is good here in Tennessee and the Titans 22nd in adjusted points allowed to wide receivers i I think jarvis is you know rock solid wide receiver two played this week
0: austin hooper is short of rock solid which we thought he was going to be based on his usage before the appendectomy maybe he's just not a whole man anymore (laughs) but three games back seeing two five and two targets that's 12.7 percent target share which is mike jesucky territory
1: and the route rates are the bigger concern. He was at 83% three weeks ago, but then down to 61% and 55% the past two weeks. He only ran one more route than Harrison Bryant, the Browns rookie, last week. So, I mean, maybe they're just, they want to expand their rookie's role. And, you know, the matchup here is good enough where Hooper stays in play. I mean, he, he scored a touchdown last week and still had a nice fantasy game because of it. You could get the same thing here. Um, Tennessee, 31st in football outsiders, tight end coverage rankings, 29th in adjusted points allowed to the position. I would, I would start Hooper over Mike Gesicki this week. And the fact that a guy with nine total
0: targets over the past three mm-hmm. weeks on a run heavy team yeah. is even in play shows you how bad tight end is exactly on the Titan side. You play all the obvious guys. The Browns do get miles Garrett back on defense, but they are likely still going to be without top corner Denzel Ward. They're going to be without Ronnie Harrison at safety. Who's on IR with a shoulder injury. So Everybody who you're considering is a pretty easy start, and for me, that includes Corey Davis as well. He had zeros on three targets back in Week Nine against Chicago. Otherwise, though, the rest of his games this season, his averages are six point nine targets, five point three receptions, seventy-seven point four yards.
1: Yeah, I mean he's been he's been good more often than not this season. I mean he does only have three targets in two of his last four games. There's always the risk in this run-heavy offense that you know Davis is just going to get left out but um you know projected high scoring game here good matchup as you mentioned especially with the browns injury issues in the secondary i, I think davis is probably going to be fine this week you know there there is a pretty low floor though
0: yeah i think that the same he has the same volume issue as justin jefferson though they're basically the same number 2 wide receiver clear number 2 wide receiver in uh, an offense that has the shot at only throwing 20 passes in a given game
1: yeah that's fair I man i think jefferson is more like 1a 1B with um Thion, and then we, we have here, but I mean, you know, like you said, like you said, yeah, Davis yeah. has had good volume for most of the season.
0: Ryan Tannehill. We've, you know, talked about it already. Pretty easy start this week, 12th among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game for the season. He's really only had true truly down games all year against Chicago in week nine against Indian week 10. He rebounded in the rematch with the Colts last week, two total touchdowns, even though he only threw 22 pass attempts in that game, the whole team scored 45 points. I think they have the upside to score 30-plus in this one. I mean, Vegas has them implied for about that. So uh, their upside is at least similar to what it was last week. Again, the Titans trail only the Chiefs and Ve- and uh, Vikings in implied team total for this week. So plenty of stuff to go around. Yeah, with.
1: yeah definitely a high ceiling for Tannehill. I, I guess I, I guess I think his floor is a bit lower than you do. I mean, he's, he's averaging 25 pass attempts over his last four games, you know, with, when Derrick Henry's really gotten – rolling um, his weekly finishes in those four games 24th 22nd he's been 10th the past two weeks he had a rushing touchdown last week you know if he doesn't score that he drops outside the top 20 now you, you can't take that away you know he does have mobility he does have upside to score on the ground um, but but again you know two finishes outside the top 20 in the last two weeks I do think you know that's the floor with Tannehill just because you know we know this offense runs through Derrick Henry.
0: Yeah, it probably has a wider range of possible outcomes. We're also not likely to see three touchdowns from Derrick Henry, though. So, I mean. Are we, are we, are we though? Don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I'm sure going to make sure to play him more <laughs> in DFS this week than I did last week, which was not enough.
1: Sounds like a good point. Anything else in that game? Should we talk about Johnny Smith? I guess. Is he still <laughs> playing? Yeah, I mean, evidently he played 75% of the snaps last week. He ran on 59% of the dropback, Zero targets. Um you know, he had seen six targets in each of his previous two games. He's on the injury report this week. He actually missed Wednesday's practice with a knee issue, so we'll keep an eye on that. I mean, I, he's he's a guy I'd want to bench because you know we just saw you know the floor is a zero. But again, in, in this matchup, you know we, we know he has a big role in the red zone. There's still upside there.
0: I mean, last week against the Colts is at least a negative matchup for him. It's a better matchup this week against Cleveland, especially with the the injuries we've talked about. So, uh, Johnny Smith is much more in play than a guy who coming off zero targets should be.
1: Yeah, I mean, would you start Johnny Smith or Austin Hooper? I
0: would start Johnny Smith because I believe in the offense more.
1: Yeah, I I think I would too. All right,
0: now let's move on to the Detroit Lions at the Chicago Bears. Bears by three in this one, over under 45. And being a three-point underdog to the Bears right now tells you what you need to know about the Lions. But let's start with good news where DeAndre Swift has passed through the concussion protocol, so it sounds like he should be able to play in this game. Kenny Galladay still not practicing Wednesday, so I don't know about him and his hip. Basically, DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson are the only two Lions that I'm interested in using in this matchup.
1: Yep, I agree. I mean, we, you know, we saw – we got the Swift breakout last time out. Um, you know, ho- hopefully, he stays in that role. Matchup's not ideal, but you're, you're starting mm-hmm. DeAndre Swift. Same goes for Hawkinson. He's just been one of the steadier tight end plays in the league all season. The Bears are – you know, the, 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 the weakest part of their defense is their tight end coverage. Football Outsiders has them 21st, and they're 28th in adjusted points allowed two tight ends. Uh, I think Marvin Jones is a fringe option, assuming Kenny Galladay remains out. He's he's averaging eight targets per game over the last four without Kenny Galladay, Uh, about five catches, 59 and a half yards, half a touchdown. It was disappointing on Thanksgiving, but you did did see 12 targets in that game. So, you know, based on volume, I think he's an option. I don't expect the Bears or sorry, the Lions passing offense to have a ton of success here though.
0: I'd play T.Y. Hilton or Michael Pittman over Marvin Jones, even if Kenny Galladay's out
1: i play Pittman over Jones. i play Jones over Hilton.
0: Hmm. I don't want any part of Marvin Jones against the Bears, although it's absolutely the kind of game where he could see eight targets, catch two of them, and it will be for like 44 yards and two touchdowns.
1: Yep, he's Marvin Jones.
0: It's because he's a jerk. <laughs> On the Bears' side, and by, by the way, Hawkins, even Hawkinson and Swift are not comfy starts in this game because if the Lions can be shut out at home by Carolina, then they can be shut out at Chicago. So there's, there's nothing Hope to be man. comfy about here.
1: We'll see if we get any bounce here after finally firing Patricia.
0: That would be awesome if they come out and score 30 points in the first game after Matt Patricia's gone. Exactly. On the Bears' side, another Mitchell Trubisky start. And watch out, Lions, because the garbage man who wound up throwing three touchdown passes in that blowout loss to Green Bay last week, he has actually thrown three touchdown passes in four straight meetings with the Lions, including week one of this season. So maybe Mitchell Trubisky should be in our top five in the rankings this week.
1: Here is weekly finishes against the Lions over those four games. Quarterback eight, quarterback six, quarterback nine, quarterback two. So, yeah, maybe he should be inside our top ten at least. Um, something about this matchup Trubisky likes. I mean, not that it's a surprise because the Lions are a bad pass defense, and they have been over that entire span. This year, they're 28th in football outsiders past the 24th in adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks. I mean, again, it's a good streaming week, so I don't think you'll need Trubisky. He's a nice play in two quarterback leagues, a nice DFS option. And, you know, maybe in deeper leagues if guys like Cousins and Carr – our owned. He's not safe because he's Trubisky, but I mean, you know, four solid games against the Lions. You got to put some stock into that.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe Mitchell Trubisky over Ryan Fitzpatrick. And l- like you've alluded to, Trubisky definitely is capable of scoring QB6 numbers this week. So the upside is there. It is absolutely going to have to be a personal decision, though, to start him over any other truly viable quarterback. That is not a recommendation I can make because he could do anything from QB6 to getting benched at halftime of this game.
1: Yes, that's fair. Although, if Bowles is still banged up, that you know decreases the, the benching percentages. I don't know.
0: I think Mitchell Trubisky is capable of playing poorly enough that Matt Nagy's like, that's it, sit down, we're putting Tyler Bray in there. Yeah, you're probably right. 13 targets and two touchdowns for Allen Robinson last week against Green Bay, as it should be. Also, nine targets for Darnell Mooney in that game, but just three completions. It's his fourth game of six plus targets among the past five, but he's only had three games all season with more than three receptions. He has yet to reach 70 yards in a game, despite plenty of weeks on that most air yards list. So uh, is there any guy in the league with more unrealized
1: air yards than Darnell Mooney? I'm sure that's something we could, we could look up. I don't have it in front of me, but you know, Mooney behind guys like Michael Pittman, the Jets receivers for me, um, but it is an option because the matchup is good. If we think is going to have a big game, you know, someone besides A. Rob is going to have a nice one here. Uh, you know, based on what we've seen this season, it does seem like Trubisky is good news for for Allen Robinson. The 28% target share in Trubisky's three full games. Anthony Miller, by the way, is the other. Bear, who just for whatever reason has big games against the lions uh 76 yards and a touchdown against the lions back in week one of this year um he had that 140 yard one touchdown game against them on thanksgiving last year uh two years ago had 122 yards and a score against detroit so miller's right there with mooney like wouldn't want to start him but there's upside in this spot
0: yeah they're more dfs considerations because i wouldn't feel good about putting any of them in lineups but you know if you're looking way down the list i would rather start emmanuel sanders than either of these Bears wideouts not named Allen Robinson. But, I mean, that's the kind of range where I think that it's fine to consider them.
1: Yeah, I wonder if Trubisky is going to be popular in DFS this week. I've, I've heard a lot of people talking him up already. But I think, you know, like Trubisky plus A-Rob plus one of those wide receivers is an interesting DFS deck. I mean, unless
0: he's super cheap, there's got to be too many quarterbacks to really make him popular this Well, that's
1: week. what I was saying, though. It's kind of a shaky quarterback week. Uh, I know, what, Mahomes isn't on the main slate. Lamar's not on the main slate. I don't know. I, I could see Trubisky getting too popular at a cheap price tag, and then he'd be an easy fade in tournaments.
0: I hope he gets too popular so I can play more Kirk Cousins. There you go. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it tomorrow. Oh, yeah. How about David Montgomery, by the way, pretending to be relevant last week against Green Bay? He
1: he looked fast on that one run. I couldn't believe it. But I mean, we've talked about it. The volume's been there for him all season. He's averaging 14 carries and five and a half targets per game since Tariq Cohen went down. And the Lions dead last in adjusted fantasy points allowed two running backs, they're 23rd in football Outsiders' run D ranking. So, I mean, Montgomery is a is higher in our rankings this week than I would like him to be. But I, you know, the it, it's all there for him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's gonna let us down. I'm definitely not playing him in DFS because that always makes it go go wrong.
1: Yeah. And I, I I might end up playing him.
0: No, as a service to our readers and listeners, I'm going to not play him because I don't want to jinx him for you if he's in your lineups. Perfect.
1: I like it. Nothing else from that game, right? Jimmy Graham officially dead. Uh, Cole Komet doubled him up in routes last week, so it looks like the Bears want their rookie to be their lead guy. I still wouldn't trust Cole Komet, but Graham Graham can be dropped.
0: And yet they signed him to a two-year deal. Although I think they can get out of it, but there's going to be some dead money. Hopefully they can get out of it ridiculous it looked silly at the time it's good to see where it is silly all right los angeles rams at the arizona cardinals rams by three over under 48 and a half jared goff threw for 424 yards and two touchdowns and then 319 and 3 in last year's two meetings with arizona granted it's not the exact same arizona team as last year but it's not like it's a, a tough defense at this point he enters this one though off his worst game of the season three straight games of 300 yards before that though None of those three earned him a QB rating of 100. And I think all of that kind of encapsulates Jared Goff. It's like, <laughs> just good enough yeah. that you can't forget about him as a fantasy play. He's just not good enough that you feel
1: good about him. Yeah, I, I need you to tell me what to think about Jared Goff because I, I can never get the guy right. Um, you know, the, the one game I really hated him was that Bucks game. I just thought the pressure would get to him. And, you know, that's when he struggled. He finished quarterback three that week. But then, yeah, he was back to quarterback eight, or it's quarterback 28 last week he was quarterback 18 the two weeks before that so you know really the Bucs game is the only time he's been a good fantasy player over the last month um i don't know how much how much stock do we put in his, in his success against arizona last year that's really what it comes down to here yeah
0: i mean we can't put a lot hey, jared this is what jared goff is he's not that good but he's good enough so he's capable of exploiting situations if they line up for him. He's also capable of the game he had against the Niners last week, which was brutal against a a team that's okay, but hasn't been nearly what it was defensively uh, last year. So you can play Jared Goff, but you have to know that there is that potential for him to implode as well as explode. And I mean, it's gotta be a personal decision because of that. He should be inside. If we looked at the numbers he had last year against his team, plus the recent 300 yard games, he probably should be inside the top 12. He's not, though, because you just can't comfortably put him that high.
1: Yeah. The, the tough thing about projecting the Rams, too, is they're so game plan dependent. We, we've seen them be run leaning most of the season. But then in that Bucs game, they came out and just threw it all over the heart, which is, you know, what you should do against the Bucs. So it makes some sense. But they're, you know, they're like their run pass splits to me seem as wide from week to week as any team in the NFL.
0: Yeah, and I think it'll depend somewhat on what Cardinals team we get, because if we get the one from the past two weeks, it's going to be less competitive from their side and force passing a little bit less. Either way, I think Robert Woods is a fairly easy start here. He had big games against the Cardinals each meeting last year, um, 27 targets this year over the past two weeks. So I think when you combine those two things, he's pretty easy to use.
1: Yes, I agree. I think um, Woods and, and Cup, obviously. Um, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, Cup's been. I guess maybe it's not surprising. He's been the more volatile of these two guys this season. Had, has had some monster games. Has had some games where he's just sort of not involved. But um, he has six plus catches in his last three games against the Cardinals. So he's had success there. I think Josh Reynolds. I mean, we I feel like we've kind of forgotten about him, but he's still seeing six plus targets in five straight games now, averaging seven point eight. Over that span. So I think he's in play too, like down with the Michael Pittman's and the Jets wide receivers.
0: Cooper Cup, by the way, the big difference for him this year versus previous is that last season he tied for seventh among wideouts in red zone targets. This year he's tied for 55th. So, yeah. you know, touchdowns can be fluky, but his lack of touchdowns this year is not really a total fluke.
1: Yeah, we got now we got Robert Woods as the touchdown machine in, in LA. Nice. The guy that was in our top 10 at the beginning of the season. You might also
0: remember or discover if you look back through the numbers that Tyler Higbee had two huge games against the Cardinals last year, both in the second half of the season, both during that huge run that he had that was a total mirage. Unfortunately, at this point, he's nowhere close to that player. And this tight end situation is just one to avoid here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's like a 50-50 committee with uh, Gerald Everett and Tyler Higbee. Um, I think Everett, Everett ran one more pass route last week. They both saw two targets, so you can't trust either of those guys. The backfield, it seems like a lot of people this week want Cam Akers to
0: be their lead running back right now. But, I mean, unless there's some word from Sean McVay that I have not seen, that's yeah. there's no reason to believe that that's coming. He had 84 rushing yards last week on nine carries. A lot of that was from a 61-yard run. Cam Akers did score a touchdown from one yard out. But all that means to me is that they now have three running backs that can get carries near the goal line. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the reason people are optimistic or, you know, wanting this to be Akers' time is that he he did get the Rams' last eight running back carries in that game, and he had 80 yards in the touchdown on his carries. So, you know, he, he finished out the game as the lead back. Who knows if that's going to carry over. At this point of the season, I would not want to be betting on it. And the thing, too, even if Akers is the lead back, he's done nothing in the passing game all season. He's not running many pass routes. He has just three targets all season. The Rams like Malcolm Brown as their pass catching back. So, you know, maybe we get like 15 carries out of acres. You can't expect much in the passing game. And again, there, there's still a chance he gets like six or seven carries in this game.
0: Yeah. Daryl Henderson opened last week on the field. Malcolm Brown led the uh, backfield in snaps. Malcolm Brown ran 21 routes versus six for cam acres in total um, pass play snaps. Sorry. That's, that's where it was 21 for Brown, seven total pass play snaps for cam acres. If you include pass blocking. So, they clearly don't like Cam Akers as a receiver or a pass blocker yet. He's seen three targets all season. He's reached 10 carries in a game twice. That is not a guy that's about to turn into the lead back. You know, anything's possible, but if you want to bet that something that hasn't happened to this point is suddenly going to happen in week 13, go for it. That's not, that's just not good planning, though.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean look, I mean I'm mean, looking at it now we we have Cam Akers at RB33 in our non PPR ranking. So he is a, like an option down there. Like I wouldn't fault anyone for starting Akers over like Gio Bernard just cuz I think mm-hmm. you know Akers has the higher ceiling, but just don't be surprised if you get, you know, six carries and zero targets out of him.
0: Yes. But if you hear somebody saying it's Cam Akers week, then switch him off. Yes. <laughs> On the Arizona side, DeAndre Hopkins is new to Cardinals Rams, but he is not new to Jalen Ramsey, who he's gone up against eight times in his career so far. In those games, DeAndre Hopkins has caught 48.4% of his targets, averaged just 11.5 yards per catch. Compare that with his overall numbers leading into this season, 60.3% catch rate, 13.6 yards per catch. It's clear that Jalen Ramsey has had some effect on DeAndre Hopkins. I'm certainly not sitting Hopkins, but he is down the rankings versus usual, and it doesn't hurt. On you know, moving him down the rankings, that Hopkins has also been short of sixty receiving yards three of the past four games this season, right. including five for fifty one, five for fifty five the past two weeks when Kyler Murray's been dealing with that shoulder injury,
1: yeah, under eleven PPR points in four of his last six games and and some of those have been tougher matchups, but I think the takeaway for me is that the Cardinals, aren't going to force it to Hopkins when he is in these tougher matchups. You know, that's obviously what he has here. Um, The Rams have been good against, you know, the, the, the stud wide receivers they face this season. You know, held DK Metcalf to 28 yards, held Terry McLaurin to just 26 yards, held Stephon Diggs to 49 yards. So, yeah, you're, you'd need to be loaded to bench Hopkins in season long, but he's definitely a fade at his price tag in DFS this week.
0: And, and I do think that it's possible that somebody has three better starters yeah. on the team than uh, Hopkins this week. Yeah. Christian Kirk also has not been loading up with DeAndre Hopkins, you know, fallen short recently, three straight games short of five catches for him. 27, 50, and 19 receiving yards in those three games. Zero touchdowns in those three games. Six plus targets and five straight. So it's been decent opportunity volume for Christian Kirk. But just 18.7% target share in that span. So not huge. I think he's a decent wide receiver four with some upside, but certainly also some downside risk.
1: Yeah, I think wide receiver four sounds right. The Rams number two corner, Darius Williams, he's been really good this season. PFF has him fourth in their coverage grades among 124 qualifying corners. So not, you know, not an easy matchup for Kirk either.
0: Yeah, it's been a tough matchup all around for wide receivers, toughest in the league in terms of uh, adjusted fantasy points allowed. Um, And let's skip over the running backs to Kyler Murray. I think it makes it also a worrisome matchup for him I think Kyler Murray is going to be starting in most places still, but he's not a gimme this week, which he has been for nearly all of the season. He's coming off of two down fantasy weeks, at least compared to what he's been doing over the course of the season. He has limited his running over these past two games since injuring that shoulder early in the Seattle game. You know, I I can't say for sure whether that's a factor or whether it's just been, you know, some variance, but it definitely has coincided with him hurting that shoulder. And like I said, the Rams. Not only the league's toughest scoring matchup for wide receivers, but also the league's toughest scoring matchup for quarterbacks by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. So it's a tough spot for Kyler Murray this week.
1: If we don't expect Hopkins to have a big game, and we're saying Kirk has a pretty tough match, like I, I don't expect Kyler to have a big passing game here. So he he needs that rushing to come back. Um, again, he's another guy I want to rank lower, but um, it's it's kind of a tough quarterback week I'd I'd be more willing though to start someone like Kirk Cousins or Ryan Tannehill over Kyler Murray than I would Deshaun Watson man at least Watson is healthy and he's he's running still
0: yes I was gonna say that I'm more worried about Kyler Murray this week than I am about Deshaun Watson and just so you guys know what that means from Jared I had to talk him into putting Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill up where they are in our rankings right now so that shows you that he's legitimately worried about Kyler Murray this week (laughs) Two meetings last year between Murray and the Rams, he had three interceptions, seven sacks, and just three total touchdowns in those two games. You know, granted, it's a new season again, and Kyler Murray has been better overall this year than he was last year. But it's a team that knows him, a team that has seen him multiple times. Yep, agreed. Now back to the running backs, where Kenyon Drake has seen a, has seen nine total targets over the past two weeks, after just eleven over his first eight games this season. I think
1: someone pointed this out on Twitter to me. I think it's a result of Murray's shoulder injury. He's one, not running as much. And two, um, you know, just, just throwing shorter. And I haven't looked at the average depth of targets. Maybe that's not true, but because um, Drake's route rates have remained disappointing, just 33 and 38% over the past two weeks. And he's just getting targeted more when he's out in pass route. So maybe it continues. I, I'm not ready to project him for another four or five targets in this game, but he is back to being um, Arizona's lead. Ball carrying back. He's getting, he's got, you know, he scored touchdowns the past few weeks. He's getting goal line carries again. Maybe that's because Kyler Murray's shoulder injury. They don't want him running near the goal line. So I think Drake's, he's an RB2. Um, I think maybe overperformed in the touchdown department and, and target departments the past couple of weeks. But yeah, again, you can bank on, you know, 15 or so carries from him.
0: Yeah, he's at least a better bet for work than he was a few weeks ago. And that makes sense. You know, it's, it's tough to call something a trend and it's dangerous to call something a trend after two games of football. But It would make sense that Kyler Murray, at the same time that he has that injured right shoulder that he's playing through, there's more targets for the running backs. There's less running from this running quarterback because Chase Edmonds usage has not fallen the past two weeks. His playing time has seen no dip. He's also seen nine targets over the past two weeks. So it's not that Kenyon Drake is taking away Chase Edmonds' targets. They're just both getting more targets that, that were heading further downfield in previous games. You know, like you said, Kenyon Drake is back to being the top Cardinals running back, and I'm back to playing him easily ahead of Chase Edmonds. I think Chase, Chase Edmonds is in
1: play down the list, however. Yeah, again, you know, Edmonds has still ran more pass routes than Drake in each of the past two weeks. Although it was, it was very close last week, it was you know close to a 50 50 split. yeah, I think Edmund's still the better target bet among the Cardinals running backs and is an option as like an RB3 or flex in in PPR leagues. New York Giants at the Seattle Seahawks.
0: Seahawks by 10 in this one, over under 46 and a half. Daniel Jones has a hamstring injury. Has not been officially ruled out yet, but it seems like he's probably going to miss this game. Colt McCoy is preparing to start, which is uh, funny. It'd be funnier (laughs) in another year, but it's kind of par for 2020 at this point. I mean, it 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 brings down an already risky offense that had kind of been looking up, but then let us down against the Bengals. So it makes it easier to not go with any Giants that you might have been considering this week.
1: Sterling Shepard at least got four targets on McCoy's ten attempts last week. That's the best thing I can say here. And you know, we know Shepard's been a good volume bat. That, that, that's less of a sure thing with a new quarterback under center. But again, McCoy did show, I think, an affinity for Shepard in his limited action last week. I think Shepard's still a decent wide receiver three and and you know what's been a good matchup all season seattle's been much better lately maybe it's just because of the offenses they face you know particularly the eagles this <laughs> this past week but i still think it's it's a good matchup overall for the wide receivers here
0: Yeah, a good matchup overall, but Sterling Shepard's really the only guy in consideration. Darius Slayton sucked last week. limited Wednesday with shoulder and foot issues, so that makes it easier to not play him at all. Um, Evan Engram, the one other pass catcher worth talking about, rebounded from a down game against the Eagles. Nine plus targets in four of his past five games. Five plus catches in each of those nine plus target games. His average depth of target has also improved. Now at 6.4, according to Pro Football Reference, that's the highest of his career, so... It's not long, but it's longer than it was early in the season, and it's also still short enough to make him kind of a security blanket along with Sterling Shepard for Colt McCoy. So I agree, both Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram are still in play this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ingram would be like a top-five play if we had Daniel Jones. Um, you know, Colt McCoy definitely adds some more risk to Evan Ingram. Um, matchup's good, though. The Seahawks 25th and adjusted points allowed, tight ends. I mean, they have gotten Jamal Adams back, but we also just saw Dallas Goddard have a big game. Against them uh this past week, so I still think it's a winnable matchup for Ingram.
0: Yeah, Jamal Adams was a tight end stopper with the Jets, but the the Seahawks see him primarily as a defensive end. I think.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, Wayne Gallman was the only Giant who delivered for us in that positive matchup with the Bengals last week, and that gave him touchdowns in five straight games and good usage over the past three games, but. Seattle will be the highest rated defense and rushing DVOA that he has faced in that span. You combine that with the team being 10 point underdogs, likely missing the starting quarterback and that he's been very lucky on touchdowns, scoring on 7.7 percent of his carries to this point, even at fairly low efficiency on a per carry basis. I would really like to not play Wayne Gallman this week.
1: Yeah, I hope he's popular in DFS because you know, I think you know, he, he's he's an easy fade for me regardless. Um, yeah, I mean, the Giants have a 19-point implied total, so he's not a good touchdown bet. Even in the plus matchup last week against the Bengals, only averaged 3.9 yards per carry. It's not like he's been super efficient, like you said. He's been living off the touchdowns. Um, he had five targets last week, I believe, but he only ran a route on 43% of the dropbacks. He's still losing, passing down work to Deion Lewis. So especially in this game, assuming the Giants fall behind, I think we're going to see Deion Lewis on the field a lot more than Goblin owners Would like to see. I mean, you know, he he's still in RB three range in our rankings, but you know, he he's not an exciting fantasy play this week.
0: On the Seahawks side, Carlos Hyde, Chris Carson were both limited Wednesday. Watching those two guys, I think, is really the only question here. Hyde beat Carson in snaps, carries, and targets at Philly, but it was Carson's first game back after four weeks out with a foot sprain. So I would imagine it was just easing him back in. Um, Both guys were in the goal line picture you know, that hurts Chris Carson's upside, especially if they do pull away from the Giants in this one. But I think Chris Carson's still a fairly easy start.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to see what this backfield looks like this week. You know, like like you said, Hyde was the leader of a committee last week. I would expect Carson to jump back ahead starting this week. Hyde probably still remains involved, especially in this game that Seattle should win easily. They're probably not going to Overwork Carson but he's obviously a good touchdown bat with a high implied total for Seattle you know he's he's been involved in the passing game I think I think he's like a borderline RB1 really even you know despite the some of the workload concerns
0: Hyde saw seven five and four carries in the other three games with a full Chris Carson that he's played this Mm -hmm. year so um, you know like we've said maybe there's more this week if especially if they pull ahead from the Giants so they can take it easy on Chris Carson where possible a little bit but it's still going to be a risk where we won't know about that until the game starts. So Carlos Hyde is is kind of in that low mix in the, you know, 35 RB 35 range. If you're looking down there, there's some upside to him.
1: Yeah. I mean, really not dissimilar to Cam Akers. We're like, I wouldn't be surprised if Hyde gets another 15 touches this week, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he only gets like seven or eight.
0: Right. There's no clarity at tight end in the first game after Greg Olson Mm -hmm. hit IR. Jacob Hollister seems like the leader. He got all five tight end targets against Philly, but... Will Disley actually played 11 more snaps. He ran just one fewer pass route than Jacob Hollister did. Colby Parkinson stepped in to play the small role that had been Hollister's when Greg Olson was in the mix. So just don't look at those five targets and think, okay, Hollister is the guy.
1: Yep, agreed. Um, can't, can't use any of these guys right now. Philadelphia
0: Eagles at the Green Bay Packers. Packers by nine. Over under 47, Zach Ertz has been activated from IR. My guess would be that it hurts the wide receivers for Philly more than it does Dallas Goddard.
1: Yeah, I mean, Goddard is still a strong fantasy play. You know, he had uh, 17 targets over the first two weeks of the season alongside Zach Ertz. Goddard's like the only thing working with Carson Wentz right now, so hopefully they don't go away from him. Um, Green Bay, sort of a middling tight end matchup again. uh, Goddard's an easy top five tight end play this week
0: especially with Philly, a a lock to fall behind in this game. And Philly has not been particularly favoring any of the wideouts, not looking like they're trying to get the ball to any of them. It seems like they've forgotten completely what Travis Fulgham did over (laughs) his first few games with the team. Alshon Jeffrey matched his playing time against Seattle. I don't want any part of any Eagles receiver going forward. I'm not bothering holding on to Jalen Rager.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, at least prior to last week, Rager, Fulgham, and, and Greg Ward have been like full time players. But last week we saw Elshon Jeffrey and John Hightower get into the mix. And, you know, n- none of those guys played more than 60% of the snaps. So it was, it was a wide receiver rotation on a bad passing game. Yeah. So you, you can't use any of those guys right now.
0: I will say that it's probably a good time to try to buy Jalen Rager in Dynasty, because not only is he not doing anything, but Carson Wentz is playing poorly enough that people don't know whether he's the Eagles quarterback going forward.
1: Yeah, I still believe in Rager's talent and his long-term upside, so I, I would definitely be trying to buy him in Dynasty.
0: Miles Sanders
1: is still a fairly
0: easy play at running back, but it's really just because running back is so difficult to actually find reliable players that you just have to stick with somebody who's a good talent and hope that the coaches fix what they didn't fix last week and actually give him the ball.
1: Yeah, good talent, great matchup. The Packers 24th in football outsiders, Rundy 28th in adjusted points allowed to running backs you know they're they're allowing 4.9 yards per carry through running backs on the season they just gave up the 100 yard game to David Montgomery um, but I mean Sanders obviously needs the Eagles offense to play better and even his usage the past couple of weeks has been disappointing just 60 and 61 percent of the snaps 36 and 50 percent of the routes you know he's losing a lot of that to Boston Scott so I mean, you know he, he should be like he, he should probably be like the third ranked running back for us in this matchup this week, uh, you know, behind Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry, but he's a bit farther down than that just because, really because uh, Philly's offense is just struggling so badly.
0: Imagine being told this summer that in week 13, you would feel much better about playing James Robinson than Miles Sanders. Fantasy, man. On the Green Bay side, you play everyone. And I mean, that's all the way down to Marquez Valdez, Scantling and Alan Lazard in close decisions. I'm not saying that those guys are wide receiver threes, but if you're in a league deep enough where you're like, should I play Marquez Valdez, Scantling or uh, Emmanuel Sanders? Go ahead and play MVS because he's a boom bust guy, but there's plenty of boom potential on this one.
1: You know, MVS didn't get a single target last week, um, but he, he still ran around 88 percent of the dropbacks. He, he's remained ahead of Alan Lazard in playing time. Lazard has seen, you know, the more consistent targets, 10 total targets and two games back for Lazard. But he's still been been around just two thirds of the routes, um, which, you know, adds a bit of downside for him i I still prefer Lazard though. He just, you know, he, Aaron Rodgers actually likes Al Lazard. I don't think he likes Marcus Valdez Scantling still.
0: Yeah. If you're picking between them, I like Lazard too. He, he was fourth among wideouts in playing time for Green Bay last week, but second on the team in targets. So yeah. I'll, I'll take that discrepancy, uh, anytime. It's a fine spot for Robert Tanyan as well. Tanyan, mm-hmm. sorry. Four, five, and five targets the past three games. A ridiculous 88% catch rate for the season. So, I mean, you know, the chance that he only sees two or three targets in this game, also the chance that he scores a touchdown on his two targets.
1: Yeah, his usage has rebounded. You mentioned the targets. He's been over 70% of their outs in three straight games, and the Eagles have been a good tight end matchup all season. So, I think, you know, Tanyan, one of the better touchdown bats once you get outside the you know top few tight ends.
0: Anything else?
1: The backfield usage has still been annoying for Aaron Jones, you know, as we've sort of gotten used to with him, but you're starting Aaron Jones. And I think Jamal Williams is in play as a running back three or flex. Yeah. I mean,
0: get used to annoying backfield usage. That's what that's going to be the NFL from now on. Yeah. Yep. New England Patriots at Los Angeles Chargers. Patriots by one. It opened up as Chargers' one and a half point favorites, but the Patriots are back, baby. Over under at 47. Cam Newton is twenty third among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game this year. He's capable of throwing for three sixty five against Houston. He's capable of throwing for two seventy four and two and rushing uh, two touchdowns in against the Jets. He's also capable of eighty four passing yards and zero touchdowns in a victory over Arizona. He is Taysom Hill, but he's living in a landfill instead of a mansion.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, just wild swings in the passing numbers. Even the rushing production's been all over the place. But you know prior to last week, he'd been a top 16 fantasy quarterback in four straight games. So he had been getting it done. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, gets there again this week, but, um, I don't know. It's a tough guy for me to trust just how he's been doing it.
0: Yep. He's a tightrope walker with no net. If I had his receivers though, to be fair, my hair would be shaped like an exclamation (laughs) point too. Yeah, exactly. Jacoby Myers rebounded from a down game against Houston. You might not, it might not be obvious from a five catch 52 yard line, but His six targets were 33% of the team target share against Arizona. He had 55% of the receptions and 62% of the receiving yards. So, I mean, really, that's as strong a five for 52 as you can really put up.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I mean, we can keep saying though that Myers' target share is strong, but like when you're not throwing it much, like the, the, you know, to me the raw targets are almost more important for him, and he's only averaged a little over five targets over his last three games. And after he had that, you know, uh, back-to-back games of double-digit targets, Um, the Chargers also got slot corner Chris Harris back last week. Uh, You know, he helped hold. Cole Beasley to a pretty disappointing game just two catches for Beasley so you know Myers has been moving in and out of the slot he's like you know 50% in the slot I think um but, but not an easy matchup for him here
0: yeah not a high ceiling guy but a decent high end wide receiver three in PPR I would say
1: not if I'd go high end but a wide receiver three
0: no, I might want to check our rankings
1: though. Oh, boy.
0: Chargers are the 31st run defense in DVOA right now. I am not buying James White as goal back. He's oh. had, he had touchdowns from seven and one yard out against Arizona last week. Cam Newton and Damian Harris though, each got a shot from the one yard line before that second James White touchdown. I am buying James White as the new Rex Burkhead and that means that I think he's certainly capable of an annoyingly involved game at any point. Rex Burkhead did have nine carries inside the 10-yard line on the year before um, suffering his season-ending injury. Damian Harris has eight, so I can buy them splitting those kind of carries. But overall, Damian Harris, as the new Sony Michelle is still my first Patriots running back into my lineup.
1: Definitely my first. Then, if you if you started James White in fantasy last week, like you you used all your fantasy luck for the rest of the season. Um, he had the he had the two touchdowns on just five carries and one target. Played only thirty eight percent of the snaps. Only ran a pass route on thirty five percent of Newton's dropbacks. I mean, his passing game usage wasn't even great. So I would try not to use James White this week. I think Harris is a nice play though. Um, fourteen of the nineteen running back carries last week sony michelle was active for that game and he played just one snap and didn't touch the ball so that you know that makes you feel better about harris's role going forward and as you mentioned um, the chargers have really struggled against the run
0: And this week james white's going to catch a touchdown pass from jacoby myers
1: yeah I'll, I'll, he won't be in my lineup so
0: <laughs> no i would like to not use him as well but i mean he's, he's rex burkhead he don't be surprised if he annoys you yeah. by taking the touchdown away on your otherwise 92 yard rushing day for damian harris
1: yeah nothing surprises me in the pats backfield ever
0: On the Chargers side, Mike Williams mispracticed Wednesday, but there was no injury, so it doesn't seem like anything we have to worry about. Six end zone targets over the past four games without scoring a touchdown on any of them, according to PFF. The one touchdown he did score over that span came from 39 yards out against the Jets. We know he's capable of that, but there's some touchdown regression coming, some positive regression touchdowns coming from Mike Williams. Of course, the issue is still target volume. Five-plus targets in five straight games, but his ceiling hasn't gone much above that, so... He's a boom-bust player as always, but it's a boom matchup this week. Patriots 30th in pass defense DVOA, and three of their four worst games in that category uh, came right before last week.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, based on those numbers of plus, man, I don't know how much of Stephon Gilmore Williams is going to see. We can talk about Keenan Allen here, too, because Stephon Gilmore has traveled into the slot this season. He's played 19% of his snaps in the slot. So maybe you know it's a true shadow situation, and Gilmore spends the entire game on Keenan Allen in that case I, I would like Mike Williams I think you know he could see more targets in a better matchup but again I, I just don't know how the paths are going to deploy Stefan Gilmore here I, to me Williams is just he's just always a boomer bust wide receiver three because the volume's not great but he's a big play guy and he's a touchdown upside guy
0: yeah because it could be a great matchup and he could still see five targets and then anything can happen on five targets for a downfield receiver yep So I agree with that, but I'll play both of those guys at appropriate levels. And I mean, the other guys to consider here, are are, they remain obvious starters. Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen. I think Austin Eckler is back in obvious starter territory after an 11-catch return in Buffalo. Hunter Henry, the Pats have been tough on tight ends at times this year, but I think Hunter Henry's a pretty easy start this week as well. The past three games for the Patriots' defense, they allowed three catches on five targets to the Cardinals' tight ends last week. Cardinals' tight ends are trash. Nine catches to Houston tight ends the game before that, a seven for 61 receiving line to Mark Andrews the week before that. So it's just not a scary matchup for Hunter Henry.
1: Right. I mean, New England's done good against, you know, Darren Waller. Um, You know, Travis Kelsey didn't do a ton against them. George Kittle, you know, those guys, you know, especially Kittle and Waller, like their offenses focal points. I think the Pats are more likely to be worried about Keenan Allen and probably even Austin Eckler at this point than Hunter Henry. So I, I, I would, you know, stick with Henry this week if he's been your guy all season.
0: Denver Broncos at Kansas
1: City Chiefs.
0: Chiefs by 14 for this one, over under a 50 and a half. Uh, I'm not going to say that the Broncos have any quality quarterbacks this week, but they will at least roll into this one with somebody who has starting experience at the position.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're not you're not starting Drew Locke, but his return puts Jerry Judy back into play. You know, it puts Fant, Noah Fant back into the top 12. In our tight end rankings and even you know farther down the line and we were talking today about Tim Patrick 7.7 targets per game over his last three Um, he's 13th in air yards per game over that span so you know, he's his usage isn't too far off from Jerry Judy's I think both those guys are in play in like wide receiver four territory.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with both of those. Um, Tim Patrick's been much more efficient guy, but Jerry Judy's been the higher target guy. And th- this is the kind of game where we could easily see 46 pass attempts, so there could be plenty yeah. for everybody. So, yeah, both in consideration. Noah Fant and Albert Oakway Boonham each got seven targets in the first meeting between Denver and KC this year. Three more targets for Nick Minett, 17 total for Denver tight ends in that game, 42.5% of Drew Locke's attempts. I'm going to go ahead and bet the under on 17 tight end targets for this game. Yep. But I also think it's a good spot for Noah Fant.
1: It is. Kansas City, 23rd and adjusted points allowed to tight end. I don't know, Fant, he just hasn't looked the same since that initial injury. He just he hasn't looked like the big play guy that you know we know he can be. But he, he's fine. You know, the volume's been fine. He has five plus targets in eight of nine games this season. Or he did prior to last week, which we're just throwing out. So he's 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 a fine play just based on volume.
0: Yeah. At a position where we're potentially interested in Austin Hooper, Jordan Aikens, uh, Johnny Smith, no fan qualifies as attractive. Yep. In the backfield, Philip Lindsay didn't practice Wednesday. He's got a knee issue, so we're going to have to watch that. His absence would certainly make it easier to play Melvin Gordon. 17 carries, though, for 68 yards and a touchdown, as well as four targets in that first meeting with the Chiefs. Philip Lindsay ran for 79 yards, nine carries, left that one early with an injury, so that helped the touches for Melvin Gordon. Both Of those guys are in play, certainly not comfy because this is a bad team, but you know, it's a it's a spot where they should be looking to run the ball,
1: right? Yeah, we know that's how you beat the Chiefs. Uh, Football Outsiders has them dead last now in run defense. Um, they're 26th in adjusted points allowed to running backs. Phillip Lindsay's status to me is big for Melvin Gordon because when Lindsay's been out this season, Gordon's been like the ball cow back. He has 22, 14, and 26 opportunities in three full games without Phillip Lindsay this season. It sounds like Lindsay was back at practice today um so maybe he's trending towards playing you know, that that would knock gordon down to like rb3 territory for me
0: yeah definitely i would love to not play either one but you know if they're if they're in play for you there's the chance that either of them has a decent game here
1: yeah yeah, yeah. good matchup
0: on the Chiefs side you already know that you're playing everyone so the backfield we talk about Clyde edwards elair nearly doubled Le'Veon Bell and snaps at Tampa, got 11 carries to Bell's five, no targets, but ran 29 routes to Bell's 17. So it looks like CEH remains the clear lead back for Kansas City.
1: Yeah. So two things are hurting edwards Um One is just the Chiefs have gone so pass heavy for the past month now. Like, you know, edwards elair averaging just uh, 10 carries per game over the last four weeks, but he's seen 65% of the running back carries. So he's getting a good piece of the pie. They're just not running enough. The other thing too that's annoying is Darrell Williams is playing in like obvious passing situations, and Edwards-Lair is coming off the field there. But you, you can't get too picky at running back, you know. Uh, Edwards-Lair always a good touchdown bet. Um, you know, he he's a pretty obvious start in season long.
0: And he could have a sneakier week this week with Denver being weak against the run and just being a weak opponent. I mean, they right. played. Tampa with a strong run defense last week. They got in some shootouts before that. So yeah. if they can pull away early in this one, which is definitely possible, I wouldn't be surprised if we get more usage than we've been getting from Clyde edwards E'Laire. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Sammy Watkins, third among Chiefs wideouts in routes run last week against the Bucs. He matched Demarcus Robinson in snaps. Third on the team with seven targets, one more than Robinson. And both of those guys more than doubled Nicole Hardman's snap total last week.
1: Yeah, I mean, Watkins has seven-plus targets now in four of his five healthy games this season. So give me seven targets from Patrick Mahomes, and I'll take my chances.
0: Absolutely. Washington at the Pittsburgh Steelers, Monday night's first game. Steelers by 10, over under 44. Expect it to be ugly. Terry McLaurin still well within starter range, but low wide receiver
1: two territory here for me. Yeah, I mean, we know Pittsburgh's secondary is beatable, and I think McLaurin's going to be open when Alex Smith has any time to throw the ball. That's that's my issue is I just think he's going to be under siege all day. So, I mean, McLaurin would be tough to bench. He's getting the volume. He's a good player, but I don't think you're going to get a ceiling game from McLaurin here. Yes, I agree.
0: Antonio Gibson, also low in running back two territory. I would prefer Damian Harris over him, probably Jonathan Taylor over him as well. And if there's no Philip Lindsay, but it sounds like there will be, I would probably play Melvin Gordon over Antonio Gibson as well.
1: Maybe for those guys in non-PPR. I mean, Gibson's usage was nice last week. He set a season high or tied a season high in snap rate and route rate and carries and in targets. And we, we sort of saw him push JD McKissick aside as like the lead pass catching back there so yeah the, the matchup sucks um but you know Gibson's a, a, a big talent and again the usage I think keeps him in play as like a low upside RB two.
0: Mm-hmm. I would not be shocked if we get a little bit more JD McKissick in this one he, his usage was down the past two weeks we got double digit victories for Washington though against both Cincinnati and Dallas in that span I, I don't think that's going to be the case this week and if Pittsburgh does pull away early wouldn't be surprised if we see more McKissick
1: yeah, I guess that's what I'm curious to see is you know if, if mm-hmm. Gibson is taken over as the guy even when they're trailing in games, I think, you know, th- this game will definitely give us an answer to that.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if they overwork um, Antonio Gibson just from, you know, a, a sheer yeah. snap standpoint, but we'll see. I mean, it's a developing situation for a developing team.
1: Yeah. We've also seen them use Gibson and McKissick on the field together at times mm-hmm. this season, but I don't know. I, I would not want to start McKissick just because I don't like the spot in general for Washington here.
0: No, for sure. I would not be looking to play any Washington player, but you know, it's something to look for if you're reaching down in the depths. Yep. Pittsburgh has gone pass-heavy over the past month or so. That included 51 pass attempts versus 20 rushes in Wednesday's win over the Ravens. All three Pittsburgh wideouts easily in play, even with Washington still playing tough in pass defense. I think.
1: Yeah, Pittsburgh's like the pass-heaviest team in the NFL right now. Um, they, you know, they've won obviously each of their last four games. They're undefeated. Ben has thrown 42, 46, 46, and 51 times. In those four wins I mean even in a tougher matchup here it's just nice to you know be able to bank on like 40 plus attempts from your quarterback
0: mm-hmm. yeah so Ben Roethlisberger is in starter territory in our rankings I would even play him higher than where he is for us though I would play him over Derek Carr I think he's a safer bet than Derek Carr this week I would be I would have a hard decision between Ben Roethlisberger and Taysom Hill I would probably play Ben Roethlisberger over Kyle Murray this week though and probably over Lamar Jackson too I just think he's a safer bet in this exploitable matchup
1: yeah well I mean Washington's been pretty solid against the pass awesome I I don't think it's a matchup to run away from but I don't think it's a you know plus matchup either I don't know I mean I think I do think Ben is fairly safe again because of the passing volume especially compared to you know guys like Derek Carr and Tannehill and Cousins where you know there's always a chance they don't even hit 20 attempts
0: Mm -hmm. I give me Kirk Cousins over Ben Roethlisberger but I like Roethlisberger over most of the other guys
1: I wouldn't play big Ben over um like Kyler or Deshaun Watson this week in the backfield, if we get James Conner back from the COVID list,
0: I honestly have no idea what to expect from him.
1: Yep, neither. Um, if not, I think you can start Benny Snell just based on volume. I mean, he ran clearly ahead of uh, Anthony McFarland last week, 16 carries and four targets for Benny Snell.
0: Buffalo Bills at San Francisco 49ers, the second Monday night game. Bills by one. It opened with them uh, up by two and a half. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, obvious starters. Cole Beasley, is a boom bust. I mean, his targets over the past five games have gone 12-2-3, 13-4. Last week's four targets against the Chargers came, even with no John Brown in the lineup. 49ers allowing the ninth fewest PPR points to wide out, so it's not a ceiling spot right now. And they really haven't allowed much to slot receivers this year. Cooper Cup in two matchups, five catches, 52 yards total on 14 targets. Tyler Lockett, just four catches for 33 yards in their meeting.
1: I mean the bigger issue for Beasley last week I think was just that the Bills didn't throw it a whole lot. I mean they they ha- they have been they had been one of the past heavier teams in the NFL. They they flipped that, um, coming out of the bye last week. So I don't know if that's gonna be a trend or if that's just the one week thing, but if the pass volume comes back up, I think Beasley will be okay. We had talked about how productive he'd been without John Brown in the previous three games. The Niners, too, just lost their slot corner, Jamar, Jamar Taylor. Not not a good corner, but, you know, I guess whoever's, whoever's backing him up is, is probably worse, so maybe a slight matchup upgrade for Beasley.
0: Well, Emmanuel Mosley moved into the slot last week, and he'd been playing on the outside, but Richard Sherman's back um, and Jason Verrett's on the other side so still a decent spot for all of them certainly it really depends on whether Cole Beasley gets the opportunities in this right. game If he gets 10 targets then I would bet on him putting up solid numbers Yep, agreed backfield remains split they ran a lot more than usual as you mentioned last week Devin Singletary had the edge 11 carries three targets 102 total yards against the Chargers Zach Moss nine carries two targets 68 total yards much tougher matchup here I would like to not use either guy
1: Yeah, me too. Um, Still more snaps and routes run for Zach Moss. I I would still rank him as as the highest Bills running back this week. Yeah. Uh,
0: On the Niners side, definitely playing Debo Samuel after what he did in his return last week. We're going to finally get another look at Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel together, which we really haven't seen much of yet, especially with no George Kittle. So I don't really know what to expect from them. So I think that makes Brandon Ayuk you know, kind of risky, but he's also enticing low in wide receiver three territory, considering the last three times we did see him, six for 115, eight for 91, seven for 75.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, Debo and Ayuk have played four games together this season. Um, Samuels only out-targeted Ayuk 22 to 21. Now, you know, Debo's coming off an awesome game. Ayuk missed some time as a rookie. so I, I would, I would, you know, I definitely prefer Debo this week, but I, I definitely agree that Ayuk is, is a nice wide receiver three play.
0: And it's certainly not a lock that Debo outproduces Ayuk. Maybe they are are even. Yep. Um, The Bills have gotten tougher in pasty later this season versus the beginning. Um, They're the eighth. They're allowing the eighth fewest PPR points to wideouts, a negative scoring matchup, but not a terrible scoring matchup for wide receivers. Raheem Mostert, I think, is an attractive start this week after getting 16 carries, scoring a touchdown in his return game. Not efficient, 2.7 yards per carry, but I'll absolutely take that usage from a Kyle Shanahan running back.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, just 16 out of the 31 running back carries last week. Played only 40 percent of the snaps. That was his first game back from the injury, though. I think Mostert will take a bigger piece of the backfield pie going forward. I mean, he's averaging about 15 carries per game now in his four healthy games this season. I, I think that's a you know fair projection for what you'll get him this week.
0: Dallas Cowboys at Baltimore Ravens to close us out on Tuesday night this week. Amari Cooper, five, six, and six catches in his past three games, 67 plus yards in each. Fairly easy play at this point. Dalton Schultz, just two games that he has fallen short of four receptions since taking over for Blake Jarwin. And those two games, when Dak Prescott left with an injury, when Andy Dalton left with a concussion, otherwise four plus receptions every game for Dalton Schultz, not an exciting option, but I mean, at a bad position tight end, I think he's a solid uh, PPR bet.
1: Yeah. I mean, you want, you want seven PPR points, you know, Dalton Schultz is probably your guy. The volume has been good, um, but he, you know, he's averaging 8.3 8.3 yards per catch over his last uh, few games, just one total touchdown. You're going to get four catches for 30 yards out of Dalton Schultz. If that's good enough for you, have fun.
0: Otherwise, I'm trying to avoid Cowboys. And Ezekiel Elliott, when he had a big game in Minnesota, it seemed like maybe a bounce back coming out of the bye. 103 rushing yards, receiving touchdown. But now it just looks like a mirage because it's the only game among his past five where Zeke has reached three and 8, 3.8 yards per carry. In the six games since they lost Dak Prescott, he's averaging 15.3 carries, 57.2 rushing yards, two and a half receptions, 13.8 receiving yards. That touchdown against Minnesota is the only one that he scored in that span. Zeke is at the bottom of RB two territory in our rankings.
1: Yep. You know, that that's how he's produced since Dak Prescott went down. He's RB22 in PPR points and he's RB24 in non PPR. the lack of passing game stuff is what's really hurting him. You know, he's he's not even he, he's running routes on like half to two thirds of the dropbacks, not nearly enough.
0: Are you doing anything with C D Lamb this week?
1: He's okay, I mean, I don't so in Dalton's three full games, uh Lamb has 24 targets to Amari Cooper's twenty five. So I don't think the volume projection is too far off. I mean I don't know those guys are both like wide receiver threes for me in this spot. I don't think you know Dallas's offense is not going to have much success in Baltimore.
0: Yeah, for me, CeeDee Lamb's more wide receiver four. Past four games, four, 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 and five receptions, thirty-five yards or less in three of those games. So I mean, he's he's T. Y. Hilton territory. He's a better player than yeah. T. Y. Hilton at this point, but he also has a worse quarterback, worse offense, I think. Yeah, that's fair. On the Baltimore side, we should get Lamar Jackson back in time. We're gonna have to wait and see. But I mean, he, Mark Andrews, J.K. Dobbins, really the only truly usable pieces here, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, and Andrews on the COVID list too, so we'll have to see behind me. It, it, Tough to to talk too much about Baltimore right now without knowing um, who's going to be back. It's a good matchup for everyone. You know, Dallas is bottom half of the league against quarterbacks, tight ends, running back. So good spot for these guys, whoever is healthy. Funny that Hollywood Brown finally, you know, got his long touchdown from Trace McSorley yes and that's a good place to end this i
0: think because that's going to do it for this week 13
1: preview edition of the podcast
0: head over to draftsharks.com now to see our full week 13 rankings we've also got an article up on team defenses with good schedules over the final few weeks of the season help you get your lineup set not only for this week but the fantasy playoffs as well we will of course be back on here friday for the usual dfs podcast you can also find us on twitter we are at draftsharks jared is at SmolaDS. i am at SchaufDS. ds it's s-c-h-a-u-f for Jared Small and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.